0: Remember Monica Lewinsky, the revelations about a sexual relationship between the then 22-year-old White House intern and the then 49-year-old Bill Clinton? It broke back in 1998. After digging deep into Watergate, the highly rated show Slow Burn comes back this week, covering events around the scandal that led to the impeachment of the US president. Here's some of that new series and an episode called Deal or No Deal that came out on Thursday New Zealand time. It revisits a lunch meeting 20 years ago between Monica Lewinsky and her supposed friend Linda Tripp.
1: Monica Lewinsky didn't know it, but her lunch meeting with Linda Tripp was never going to happen. Lewinsky was waiting for Tripp at the food court inside a shopping mall in Pentagon City, Virginia, just outside Washington D.C. It was a typical suburban mall, brightly lit with a movie theater, a Macy's, and white tiles on the floor. Lewinsky had come from the gym. She was still in her exercise clothes, and she was reading a magazine while she waited for her friend. It was Friday, January 16th, 1998. Lewinsky was 24 years old. About two years earlier, she would become involved in a precarious relationship with the President of the United States. As Lewinsky later told her biographer, her relationship with Bill Clinton had come to overwhelm her life she found it hard to think about anything else. Standing there at the Pentagon City Mall, Lewinsky looked up from her magazine, and she saw Linda Tripp heading towards her on an escalator.
0: Suddenly she gestures. I mean, Linda Tripp is coming down on the escalator and gestures towards some men behind her.
1: That's journalist Renata Adler. She wrote about Monica Lewinsky and what happened to her on this day in 1998 for Vanity Fair and the LA Times
0: and suddenly these guys apprehend her and they keep saying that she's already in steep trouble with the law and it can only get more steep unless she does as they ask.
1: The two men who approached Lewinsky were wearing dark suits and carrying badges. They said they were with the FBI and that the Attorney General of the United States had authorized a criminal investigation into her actions. The FBI agents invited Lewinsky to follow them to a room in a nearby Ritz-Carlton hotel. Though they told Lewinsky that she was not under arrest and was free to leave at any time, she agreed to go with them. Later, she said she went because she wanted to protect the president, that she was thinking, I have to fix this. As the scene in the food court unfolded, Linda Tripp tried to give Lewinsky a hug. Monica, this is for your own good, she said. Just listen to them. They did the same thing to me. But like so much of what Tripp had said to Lewinsky, that was a lie. While I was working on this show, I discovered that not everyone knows who Linda Tripp is. 20 years ago, Tripp was a world-famous supervillain. Her name was synonymous with treachery and manipulation. Tripp worked in the same office as Monica Lewinsky for much of 1996 and 1997. And during that time, Lewinsky spilled her guts to her colleague about the affair she was having with Clinton. Eventually, Tripp started recording her conversations with Lewinsky. And then, after making fake lunch plans with her at the Pentagon City Mall, Trip delivered her friend to the FBI. The agents led Lewinsky to the tenth floor of the Ritz-Carlton and into room ten twelve. It was a standard unit, furnished with a dresser, a television set, a bed, and a chair. There, Lewinsky met two men from the office of the Independent Counsel. One of them was a prosecutor named Bruce Udolph.
2: The only thing we knew about Monica was from the tapes, and we had heard her voice, but we didn't know what to expect how she was going to behave or act or anything. We assumed that she was not going to be a very submissive person, but we were not prepared (laughs) for her personality and what happened at all when she got there.
1: Udolph and his colleague were working for Ken Starr, the independent counsel who had been investigating Clinton for more than three years. They were there to put Monica Lewinsky in a brace. That's what prosecutors call it when they confront a potential witness in a criminal probe. At issue was something Lewinsky had written, a sworn affidavit in which she claimed that she had never had a sexual relationship with Bill Clinton. The point of putting Lewinsky in the brace was to scare her into telling the truth and to convince her to help Ken Starr go after the person he was really interested in, the president.
0: So they take her into this room and they say, you've committed this crime, you signed a false affidavit, and it puts you in such trouble, you may go to jail for 27 years.
1: Udolph's colleagues suggested to Lewinsky that she could make some of that prison time go away if she agreed to work with Starr's office. All she had to do was take part in an undercover operation designed to catch the president committing a crime. Monica Lewinsky had a choice to make. Should she cooperate with the Starr investigation or remain loyal to the president and risk a decades-long prison sentence? On January 16, 1998, Lewinsky weighed that choice for 11 mind-bending hours. It was a choice that would set the course for the rest of her life. It also put the fate of the Clinton presidency on her shoulders. This is Slow Burn. I'm your host, Leon Nafok. In the long history of the American presidency, there's never been anything like this.
0: Sex, lies, and constitutional duty. These kind of issues are not
1: private matters. Congress is rushing to overthrow the commander in chief. What has happened in this town? Where is the decency? Over the next two months, I'll be your guide to everything you never knew about the impeachment of Bill Clinton. How did a turbulent series of sexual encounters between the president and a White House intern go from being a secret to an all-consuming national obsession? How did the ensuing scandal change our politics and shape the world we live in now? What did Americans think about and talk about as they were forced to pick sides? And what did they miss in the process? Episode 1, Deal or No Deal. When Bruce Udolph joined the Independent Council's office in mid-1997, Ken Starr's investigation was focused almost entirely on money. Starr was interested in the Clintons' financial history, specifically something called Whitewater, the Arkansas real estate deal that has dogged President and Mrs. Clinton since they arrived in Washington. The special prosecutor has been looking into this case. Udolph was 46 years old when he was recruited to join the Starr team. He was an accomplished investigator. He had built up an impressive record going after public corruption in Florida.
2: Many of the lawyers working for Starr are some of the toughest prosecutors in the nation. Bruce Udolph nailed more than a dozen judges, mayors, and cops for corruption while U.S. attorney in Miami.
1: Most of the politicians Udolph went after in Florida were Democrats. But Udolph didn't join up with Starr for partisan reasons or because he wanted to get Bill Clinton. Udolph was a Democrat himself. He had voted for the president. What attracted him to the Starr probe were the stakes.
2: I mean, to work on a case involving allegations of corruption on the part of the president of the United States, I mean, it doesn't, if you're looking to have an impact, it doesn't get more impactful than that.
1: But within six months of Udolph's arrival in Washington, Starr's team had received an astonishing tip from Linda Tripp. It caused the investigation to swerve into questions of presidential adultery and deception. Udolph was skeptical about this new direction.
2: I mean, I went up there fully expecting to investigate the president's involvement or alleged involvement in a real estate deal that had failed basically a white collar investigation and this is not necessarily something i signed up for and it's not something that i feel terribly good about
1: udolph wasn't crazy about the idea of putting Lewinsky in a brace although he mostly kept his doubts to himself some of the more hard charging prosecutors on the team already thought he was a softy later they would put up a jokey chart on the wall of their office where he was labeled commie wimp. When Udolph suggested that it wasn't a good idea to confront Lewinsky with a group of men and no women, he was told that none of the women in the office were available. Udolph is in his mid-60s now. He lives outside Fort Lauderdale and works as a white-collar defense attorney. And he has a hard time talking about the Monica Lewinsky investigation. When I spoke to him in his office earlier this year, his face would toggle between friendly, cautious, and agonized, and he fidgeted with any small object he could get his hands on. As he answered my questions, there were times when Udolph would stop and think for a full 10 seconds, searching for the right words. This case
2: involving Monica Lewinsky should have been dead on arrival. And it served no useful purpose.
1: Udolph really hates that the Clinton Lewinsky investigation happened. He hates what it put the country through, and he hates thinking back on that long, tumultuous day in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel that kickstarted the whole thing. Looking at Monica Lewinsky that afternoon, Udolph saw a young woman, dressed in spandex and a t-shirt, fighting back tears and biting her fingernails. Prosecutors in the Office of the Independent Counsel referred to the January 16th Lewinsky operation as prom night. Bruce Udolph, despite his reputation as a dove, was one of the two attorneys in charge of persuading Lewinsky to flip. The other was a prosecutor from Los Angeles named Michael Emmick. Emick, who died in 2015, was known in the office as something of a charmer. Here's reporter Susan Schmidt, who co-wrote a book about the Star investigation called Truth at Any Cost.
0: He was, you know, the nice guy in the office, very good-looking guy, very personable
1: Schmidt covered the White House for the Washington Post. In fact, she helped write the first major newspaper story about Lewinsky a few days after all this happened.
0: Other people were in the next room listening and down the hall, you know, so it was a very carefully thought through interaction with her, but it all went haywire very quickly.
1: The first mistake came when the FBI agents who brought Lewinsky into the hotel room for some reason allowed Linda Tripp to join everyone inside. Lewinsky, who understood immediately that Tripp had betrayed her, stared at her former friend with rage in her eyes. Before someone finally thought to get Tripp out of the room, Lewinsky remembered saying, Make her stay and watch. I want that treacherous bitch to see what she's done to me. Speaking in a soft, even voice, Emmick explained to Lewinsky why the independent counsel's office had summoned her. It had to do with a lawsuit, he said. A sexual harassment lawsuit that had been filed in 1994 by a woman named Paula Jones. Lewinsky knew all about it. There has been a legal cloud over the Clinton administration ever since Arkansas native Paula Jones made sexual harassment allegations against the president.
0: Paula Jones, a former Arkansas clerical worker who claims that she was sexually harassed by the president. how
1: You'll hear more about Paula Jones's story in future episodes. The short version is that she worked for the state of Arkansas while Bill Clinton was governor.
2: Jones alleges that in 1991, then Governor Clinton lured her to a private room at this Little Rock Hotel during a state conference and made unwanted sexual advances.
1: Here's what you need to understand about how all this fits together. Basically, three separate storylines converged to put Bill Clinton's presidency in peril. The first was Ken Starr's investigation into the Clinton's financial history and Whitewater. The president's biggest headache, Special Prosecutor Kenneth Starr's Whitewater investigation. The second was Paula Jones's sexual harassment suit. Paula Jones' sexual misconduct allegations against President Clinton continue to wreak havoc among members of the White House staff. The third was Clinton's relationship with Monica Lewinsky. We'll trace the origins of these three threads later in the series. For now, I'll just say that they started coming together in the fall of 1997, when Paula Jones's lawyers found out that Clinton was carrying on a secret relationship with a former White House intern. For Jones's legal team, that made Lewinsky a very useful witness. If she testified that she had begun an affair with Clinton while working in the White House, it would help establish that he had a habit of pursuing his female subordinates, a pattern of behavior that would make Jones's harassment claim more credible. And so, On December 19, 1997, Jones's lawyers served Lewinsky with a subpoena. She responded by signing a sworn affidavit in which she denied having a sexual relationship with Clinton and stated that he had always behaved appropriately in her presence. Not long after, Ken Starr's office learned about Monica Lewinsky and the false affidavit she had signed. That affidavit gave them leverage over her, and that's how she found herself being marched into a Pentagon City hotel room by the FBI.
0: That's from episode one, Deal or No Deal of Slowburn. And thanks to Leon Nafark of Slate and Jocelyn Westerhold. And more episodes will be coming out every Thursday over the next couple of months.